0: If you have your Bibles, come with me to John 10, and we'll pick up from verse 11. We're looking at the Good Shepherd, John 10, last Lord's Day afternoon, and then today in both services. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Almighty God, give us now what we do not have in ourselves. In our natural selves, love for one another, forgiveness for those who sin against us, wisdom to understand the times, generosity for the poor, compassion for the needy, hearts that know how to show mercy, and hearts that love the truth. Grant that we would be submissive to one another out of love. I pray that you would make us a humble, happy people. Cause us to despair of ourselves, but be ever confident in your righteousness. And now, give us ears to hear your voice speaking to us through the Holy Scriptures, that we might have life and have it abundantly. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So hear the word of the Lord from John 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Jesus was not and is not for the faint of heart. And we see that in John's Gospel. Wherever Jesus went, he was bold, provocative and controversial. Jesus was not a placid, vaguely spiritual, cosmic, harmony, religious sort of guru. Jesus made daring and audacious claims about himself. And some people hated him for it. And others worshipped him. Some people thought he was a demon. Other people thought he was the son of God. And his teaching, his miracles, his self-identification, elicited strong reactions from people. And especially here we see from the Jews. Jesus was never the type of person when he was here, and should not be today, that you could just brush aside and just say, yeah, Jesus, nice guy, I've heard of him, I respect him, he's good with kids, I like him. You can never say that about Jesus because you either loathed him as a blasphemer or you were drawn to him and you worshipped him as Lord. There's only ever two reactions to Jesus and he is the dividing line. And one of the chief ways that I've been praying that the Lord would use these sermons from John's Gospel, but especially these sermons in this last few weeks, is that for every one of us, whether encountering Jesus for the first time or for the thousandth time, to come face to face and look Jesus in the eye and consider the claims that he makes about himself, the claims he makes on your life, And in your heart, answer this question. Is he crazy? Or is he the son of God? Do you believe that this man walked on the planet? He really did. I don't think he walked on the shores of England, as Jerusalem seems to indicate. But he did walk on this planet. We can't at the moment, but you can, or you could, and I hope we can, go and visit the places where his feet walked? Do you believe that he was the bread of life? He was the light of the world. He was the door for the sheep. Have you heard his voice? If you're just casually interested in Jesus, you've never come face to face with Jesus. If you're just casually interested in Jesus, you have never come face to face with the real Jesus. you kept him at arm's length. You've thought of that he is something that betters your life. You've thought a habit is a habit that's good, a few times a month or a few times a year. But that isn't the real Jesus. And as we've seen over and over in John's Gospel, when they met Jesus, there was division. There were some who thought he was mad, and there were some who worshipped him as Lord. And if you look at that word in verse 19, there was a division. The Greek is schisma. You can hear our English word schism. There is a division. He is a, has a demon or he is divine. And if, he isn't, if he's not divine, he has a demon or he's just a delusional type man, then don't waste your time with the Bible. But listen, if he is divine, then there is nothing he cannot do. There is no one he cannot heal. There is nothing he cannot forgive. There is nothing he cannot ask of you. And there is nothing that we should not give him in order to follow him. And here we have the fourth of the seven I am statements. We've had I am the bread of life. We've had I am the light of the world. We've had I am the door of the sheep. And he says it twice in verse 11 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And that should be a great comfort for us all today. Just that line. Jesus is the good shepherd. He cares for you. He is the good shepherd. And last time we saw that sheep shepherd imagery is among the most common in the ancient world. It's certainly common in the Old Testament. And this imagery would have been immediately understanding to Jesus' audience. We have a privilege by living in Keswick. You can walk down just to the lake and you can come across loads of little herdwicks. And I think it's even lamb in season. I've seen a few lovely little bunnies around. And they had all seen a flock of sheep being led in and out of the sheep pen by the shepherd. Maybe in some kind of rural area or maybe in a stone pen attached to their dwelling. Many of them would have this stone fenced in enclosure and there was a gate. That's why Jesus said, I'm the door. And a man guarding the gate to open the gate for the sheep. And a shepherd to care for them, tend for them, And to care for them. Jesus declares himself to be the door, but now he says he is the shepherd. He said he was the door, but now he is the shepherd. And do not misunderstand the metaphor. Shepherding did not involve walking around in a long, white, flowing robe, looking off pensively into the horizon, while holding one of those question mark looking staffs that's the that's the romantic imagery of a shepherd but shepherds were not cuddly people even now they're not particularly cuddly they ride quad cars or whatever they do but it's still a hard job it's not some kind of romantic imagery don carson said in his commentary verses 7 to 10 depict jesus as the gate for the sheep verses 11 to 18 portray jesus as the good shepherd, kalos, shepherd. Many people in the industrialised West, though not Australians, he says, think that shepherds are sentimental beings, usually effeminate, with their arms full of cuddly little lambs, and the English adjective does good, does nothing to dissuade us from these misconceptions. But the shepherd's job was tiring and dangerous, so the word callous suggests kalos nobility or worth. You could say the noble shepherd or the worthy shepherd. So Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. Think of it, I am the noble shepherd, I am the worthy shepherd. And if you were a shepherd, you had a mix of what you might call soft virtues and hard virtues. A shepherd was daring. 1 Samuel 17, but David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there was a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck both down lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. This was a dairy. David took on lions and bears and you know, tigers. I wouldn't want to rescue a shepherd from a dog. Sorry, a sheep from a dog, not a shepherd. Let alone a lion or a bear. But a shepherd was daring. But the shepherd was also tender. I'm talking from the scriptures, Isaiah 40. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those with young. So a shepherd was brave and daring. And a shepherd was loving and tender and caring. And a shepherd was a ruler. 2 Samuel 5. The Lord said to you, you shall be the shepherd of my people Israel. And you shall be prince over Israel. So a shepherd is daring. A shepherd is kind and compassionate. A shepherd is a ruler. But a shepherd was also compassionate. Psalm 95 verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. And a shepherd protects, Micah 5, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Think of all these biblical imageries of a shepherd. And a shepherd provides, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One author said that shepherding in the ancient world was the subtle blend of authority and care. And it's important that you get both of those things. The shepherd had excelled in soft virtues and hard virtues. And if you only have a vision of God as having one or the other, only authority, which is a despot that you you must acquiesce to and you must worship and you need forgiveness from, he is the great and mighty judge. And some of you have only soft virtues for God, that he's only tender and caring and compassionate. And when we have that view only of God, it translates to the view that those in authority over us, we have a skewed view of that, that they should always have care and not realising that to be a shepherd is to have both. It's easy to always be soft. It's easy to always be hard. You don't need the work of the Spirit. It's just your personality can take you one way or the other. But it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to have these diverse excellencies which we find perfectly in Christ. To have a shepherd who is daring and tender, who rules and is compassionate, who protects and provides, who doesn't turn a blind eye to sin, but moves in the direction of a struggling sheep. The good shepherd exercises his authority over the sheep. He leads them, guides them, disciplines them. He shows them the way to go. But he also demonstrates great care and compassion. He protects them. He pays attention to their needs. He binds up their wounds. It is the very definition to use what has become a cliche term servant leadership. But think about that just for a minute with me servant leadership. Because what is a leader? A simple definition of a leader is somebody who has followers. What is a servant? Someone who wants the best for those he serves. A servant leader is someone who has followers, but his interest isn't what the followers might do to provide his satisfaction, but his aim is to serve them, to lead them to green pastures. We all need to be servant leaders in whatever role God has given us. But more than that, we need to look to the good shepherd. I really like if you I looked up this passage in the Vulgate in Latin. I didn't really by the way, I can't I don't understand Latin. My wife does, but I, I kind of can pass it using software. But Jesus says, I am the pastor bonus. I love that. I, I really like that. He is the pastor bonus, meaning he is the shepherd, and bonus meaning good. And that's what you need. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the pastor bonus. Why is he the good shepherd? Well, three reasons from our text this morning. Three reasons why Jesus is the good shepherd. He firstly is the good shepherd because he knows the sheep. And we saw that in verse three. The gatekeeper opens the door. The sheep listen to his voice and he calls them by name. He calls them by name. If you are a believer this morning, he has called you by name. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. So the sheep follow because they know his voice. And we have much the same thing in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Jesus compares himself adversely to the hired hand. He says, I'm not the hired hand, I am the good shepherd. He did it because he knows his sheep. They know him. He doesn't run away when the wolf comes. If David went after lion and bears, how much will Jesus protect you? And I am so thankful that Jesus protects me. Are you? That he protects you. He protects you from harm in our family is, he walks us through the fire. He walks us through the fire. If David could go after lions and bears, how much more will Jesus protect you and stand by you in the face of danger? He will never leave you. I want you to hear that loud and clear, that Jesus will never leave you. There is a true story from the Florida Everglades. And uh, we've, I've driven across what is called Alligator Alley, but it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful road from, from uh, side to side of Florida. But in the Everglades, there was a family in the back garden playing. And the husband and wife saw an alligator grab their child, grab their small child, and head back into the bush and into the water toward the water. And the husband was scrambling around looking for a gun, because they probably had one, a shovel, or some kind of weapon. But while he was busy looking for a weapon, the mother ran in a dead sprint towards the alligator, jumped on it, kicked it, spattered it, and scratched it until the alligator let the the child go, and then she fainted. Now, I'm not saying that the father was necessarily like the hired hand, but the mother was certainly like the good shepherd certainly like the good shepherd so how much more does God care for us and rescue us because he knows us just as the father knows me and I know the father I lay down my life for the sheep if you don't know how the father and son relate to one another you will not feel the depth of your own relationship with Jesus the father is one with the son he knows him he sends him he understands him and the Son is one with the Father. He hears Him, obeys Him, enjoys Him, delights in Him. There is perfect unity in the Father and the Son, an ontological unity, a unity of being and essence, a relational unity. So, in the same way, the Father knows the Son is the way the shepherd knows the sheep. That's why it's important. The Son knows and is known by the Father, and in the same way, we are known and know the Son. Brothers and sisters, do you have something approximating it? It will never be fully, but approximating that kind of closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that He knows you? Have you heard Him call your name with the same level of delight and passion as the Father loves the Son? The picture of the shepherd with the sheep. Don Carson again. Jesus has just set out the relationship between the Father and the Son as the analogue of the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. But the relationship between the Father and the Son is more fundamental than that. The love for the Father for the Son and the love of, of the Son for the Father are logically prior to the love of God for the world and the basis that makes salvation possible. I hope that is a comfort to you because the doctrine of the Trinity is meant to be a massive comfort to you. In those moments when you ask, how do I know God really hears? Or does the Father know the Son? How do I know that Jesus is really with me? Is the Son at the right hand of the Father? The Father and Son indwell one another so we can have union and communion with Christ. The Good Shepherd knows his sheep. There is a uniqueness to the shepherd's knowledge of the sheep. God, in some sense, may love everyone made in his image, but much more common in Scripture is this covenantal language. Or here, the agricultural metaphor. Jesus knows you. It is the difference, which is all the difference in the world, between your love for children, generally, like your children in a a school... You love them, you wish them well, and it's totally different to the love for your own child who is in that school. Jesus the Good Shepherd has a specific knowledge and love for the sheep. Just as any parent may be able to be here, all amongst all the, you know, all the noise in a nursery they can hear their child cry. Do not rob yourself of Jesus' particular love for you, his particular knowledge for you, just by overemphasizing the kind of different kind of love he has for everyone. He has a special kind of love for his sheep. And Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows you if you are his sheep, he's called you by name. You're not just a number. You're not just a mere bleating voice among the flock. He knows you and he knows me. He is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep. I want that to be a tremendous comfort to you as it is to me. And secondly, Jesus is the good shepherd because he brings all the sheep into one flock. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock one shepherd. I'm so thankful for this verse because he's speaking about us. He's speaking about the Gentiles. Isaiah 56 verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will yet gather others to him besides those already gathered. In other words the Messiah wouldn't only restore the lost tribes of Jacob. That would be too small a thing. He'd be a light for the Gentiles. And Paul explains in Ephesians 3, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one flock, one body. So he's describing this supernatural reconciling work. The the reconciliation must be to God, but only as we are reconciled to God can there be reconciliation to one another. Jews and Gentiles... Was scandalous. Gentiles, one flock, one shepherd. Verse sixteen. And it's even better in the Greek. It says one poime, one poimen. same word, a slightly different accent. One sheep place, one sheep person is how you could translate it. One flock, one shepherd. Jesus' point is emphatic. If we're one group, we have One shepherd. Now, there are sometimes unfortunate and sometimes unavoidable divisions based on theological discernment or error. That's not the kind of divisions or oneness that Jesus is talking about. But insofar as there is true theological spiritual oneness under one shepherd, there is only one flock. For Jews and Gentiles, for blacks and whites, for Asians and Hispanics, for rich and poor, for old and young, one flock. An allegiance to one shepherd. We have sheep that are very different. We have sheep that look different, educated differently, speak differently, come from different places but they bring glory to God as he brings us together in one flock. Our efforts at relational oneness in the church must start with our theological oneness in Christ. That is the only basis, lasting basis, for reconciliation or unity. We all come from the same parents, Adam and Eve. We were all born with the same sin nature. We need the same Saviour. There is only one Saviour. And we, we all need Jesus. And insofar as we believe in Christ, We have one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One faith, one hope, one baptism, one flock, one shepherd. And when you have all of that kind of oneness, it gives you a lot of good reasons. To stay at the table and to try and figure out how to show it to the world. Jesus is the good shepherd. He brings all the sheep into one flock. And thirdly, he is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. And think of that this week. Every day this week, think of that line. He is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. That's how much he loves you. This in specific fulfilment to a number of Old Testament prophecies. Zechariah 11, 7-8. The Messiah is the rejected shepherd. In Zechariah 12, verse 10. He is the one that's pierced and mourned over. In Zechariah 13, verse 7. The Messiah is the shepherd. Struck down by the Lord Himself. Zechariah gives us these images that come together. The Messiah is a shepherd. The shepherd is rejected. And the shepherd is pierced and struck. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Zechariah looked forward to. He was rejected, He was pierced. He is the Messiah. He is the good shepherd who freely laid down his life for the sheep. And and you see the language in verse 18? It's very specific. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. You could rightly say that that they killed Jesus. But in one sense, no one killed Jesus. He laid his life down for his sheep. There have been heretical people that say your view of the atonement with the father piercing the son for the sins of the world is a form of cosmic child abuse. That was said a few a few years back. And the question was what kind of father does that to his son? That fails in many ways and it's blasphemy. But here we see one of the chief ways that horrible analogy fails. No one took the son's life from him. This isn't an image of a son cowering in a corner, being beaten by a vengeful father. No, this is divinely arranged, designed between the father and the son, and it was agreed the work that each would do to accomplish our redemption. The father appointed and sent the son. And the Son willingly and freely gave himself as the good shepherd for the sheep. Sometimes we think of Jesus as a victim. I suppose he was in the sense that people mistreated him and gave to him what he did not deserve. But in another sense, never think of Christ as a victim. Because it was freely that he gave his life for us. Make no mistake, the good shepherd doesn't just lay down his life just to set an example for the sheep. Some people imagine the cross and the atonement to work that way. Nothing but an example, but it is that, but it's more than that. He does it for them because they're in danger. There are wolves. Their life is in jeopardy. He gave his life for the sheep. Free, full, particular, and perpetual the life of the shepherd for the life of the sheep. Brothers and sisters, we can know forgiveness of sins and eternal life for one reason and one reason only. And that's that Jesus died instead of you. Jesus died so you would not have to face the second death. I want to reflect in closing what it means for Jesus to lay down his life for the sheep. It does not say for the wolves. It does not say for the goats. He died for the sheep. He died for those he knows by name. The ones who know his voice. The Bible teaches that Jesus died for the sheep. And only for the sheep. Sometimes that that doctrine is known as limited atonement. Though that sounds negative to people. A better term is particular redemption. And it's at the very heart and nature of the gospel it was God's will that Christ, through the blood of the cross, by which he confirmed the new covenant, should effectively redeem from every people, tribe, nation and language, all those and only those who were chosen from eternity to salvation and given to him by the Father. This is a massive misunderstanding because it isn't, it isn't that Christ's death wasn't enough to atone for the sins of every man, woman, and child. His work was more than sufficient. There was nothing lacking in the death of Christ. But it is uniquely effective to redeem the sheep. The people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. Those chosen by the Father and given to the Son. The Good Shepherd died for the sheep. John 6:37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast him out. Matthew 1.21 She will bear a son. You should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. John 15.13 Greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. And Acts 20.28 Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of Christ, which he obtained with his own blood. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The atonement is for the bride, the sheep, the church, the friends, his people, his chosen ones. And the reason to bring this up is that it's no small matter as we try to understand the gospel. We shouldn't say that Christ died so that sinners might come to him. There's a sense in which that is true. But it's more than that. Not that Christ died so that sinners may come to him, as if Christ in his death removed the final obstacle that therefore you might be enabled to save yourself. We say that Christ died. The sinners. And there's a big difference. Does the death of Christ just make us savable, or did the death of Christ save the sheep? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, we're often told that we limit the atonement of Christ, because we say that Christ has not made a satisfaction for all men, or all men would be saved. But Spurgeon says, it is the view of the atonement which says that no one in particular was saved, that limits Christ's death. That is what is meant by the particular redemption of Christ. And that is what we mean by the good shepherd. He laid down his life not for the goats but for the sheep. If Jesus died for everyone on the planet, then we no longer mean he died in the place of sinners. He took our sin, our shame, our rebellion. So we have the death of death and the death of Christ. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep he knows by name. He calls by name. That would believe in his name for you in your place. That's what Calvary meant and means. The cross Mm -hmm. saved. The cross saves. I believe at this point in closing because it's imperative we give Jesus the glory. Jesus is not merely a saviour who says I have done my part. Now you take the final step. Satan says no. Jesus says yes. You decide. No one will be saved with an arrangement like that. But we have one who says, Come to me, and all who come, the Father has drawn. We have one who says, I was pierced for your transgressions. I was crushed for you, believer, for your iniquities. I have purchased with my blood for God a people. From every tribe, nation and tongue. Jesus bore my sin. In his body on the tree. So that I might infallibly die to sin. And assuredly live for righteousness. Jesus says my wounds did not merely make healing available. My wounds healed you. See the difference? Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Praise be to our good shepherd who laid down his life for us infallibly, irresistibly, unconditionally, perfectly for the, his beloved sheep. May we give Christ the glory this week as we reflect on what it means that he is the good shepherd. <coughs> He calls, he knows you by name. And he died for you. He died for you. He died in your place. Give him the glory. To him the glory belongs. Amen.